Thank you for listening to our church podcast, where it is our joy to share helpful truths from the Bible. We pray this serves as one more tool to help develop leaders within our church and community who love and honor Jesus and reveal it by loving others. If you have any questions or comments about any of the messages, we invite you to join us on any Wednesday, 6 p.m., for a group discussion on the passages and sermons found here. Scripture reading this morning will be found in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 13. I will read the first verse, yet you join with me on the second verse and continue with me every other verse. Then Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 13. Would you please stand as we read these verses? And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend? Lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything, because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful to be here today to get spiritual food. We love your word. We ask your blessing be upon all who hears the message given today. And we ask that through the Holy Spirit, we implement it in our lives. We ask all this in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. All right. Uh, we've been talking the last several weeks about prayer uh, from Luke chapter 11. And today we're going to continue with what I believe is one of the most commonly misunderstood parables or stories. Uh, that Jesus ever gave. Um, specifically, the first story in verses 5 through 8. Uh, there are many texts in the Bible that people regularly misinterpret. Uh, but with this story, the way the text is misinterpreted actually leads to the exact opposite conclusion than what the text intended. Unless you think I'm being uh, condescending towards other people, I I'm a part of that group. Uh, I grew up totally misunderstanding uh, what this passage uh, meant. In fact, it wasn't until probably last Tuesday uh, that it finally clicked that, oh, I'm completely reading this backwards. So I'm in that group of Christians who for years, I I've read this story that Jesus gave and I've assumed an understanding of it uh, that is so far from what was intended, it's actually the exact opposite. The common understanding of the story is that Jesus is teaching us to be persistent in prayer. Uh, to pray and to keep on praying until we get a response from God. That's how most people understand uh, this story when you first read through it. 
Um, there's two stories in Luke's gospel that are very similar here. The one here in Luke 11 and then Luke 18, where there's the persistent widow story. We're going to look at that in a few minutes. Um, both are teachings about prayer. Uh, both are given exclusively by Luke in his gospel. And both of them seem to be teaching the idea of wrestling with God in prayer and then him finally yielding to our persistence. So we're going to start off just reading the two stories, kind of familiarizing ourselves with them. Uh, we'll start in Luke 11, beginning in verse 5, where Jesus says, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. Okay, a little bit of background here. In Middle Eastern culture, uh, even today, hospitality is a big deal, way more so than it is in America. Uh, very important to take care of guests. I remember when I was uh, in Israel, every time you walk into a building, if it's a hotel or if it's somebody's house, it doesn't matter, a business, uh, they walk up to you within 30 seconds, somebody will greet you with a tray with orange juice and then I think grapefruit juice or something, two different juices for you to have uh, as you walk in there. It was crazy, but every building you walk into, somebody's just waiting there uh, to greet you. I remember when I came back to America, I really missed the juice. I was happy to see bacon again, but I missed the juice. Um, so in Israel, they're just very, very hospitable people, way more than we individualistic Americans are. And this was true in Jesus' day as well. Uh, when you entered someone's home, they would provide food and lodging for you. They would even wash the sand off of your feet and so on. Those are all customs uh, related to this hospitality. And so this guy in the story has a friend who shows up at his house at midnight uh, he's been traveling uh, through, and he stops at his house for the night. The guy didn't even give him the courtesy of a phone call to let him know he was coming because, of course, they did not have phones. Um, so just put yourself in his shoes. There's, there's no way to alert somebody you're on your way. You just show up and hope that they have food and a place for you to stay. By the way, this is, this is the, the issue that ha they had with Jesus' birth. You remember in that famous story where they show up to someone's house expecting to be cared for, and there's no room. Uh, because of the census, somebody was already staying there. So there was no, no way to make uh, accommodations ahead of time. You just showed up and relied on the hospitality of any friends and relatives that you had in the area. And so the friend shows up at this guy's house. It's midnight. He has no clue that he's coming, and he has no food for him. And so he has a decision to make. He can either be a bad host and send the guy to, to bed hungry, or he can be a bad neighbor and go bother the guy next door at midnight and ask for some bread. And he takes option two. So he walks to the, the next door to his neighbor's house, knocks on the door, and he calls into the house and says, friend, which is a really good way to start a conversation when you're bothering someone at midnight and about to ask a favor of them. He says, friend, lend me three loaves. Uh, these aren't huge loaves of bread like we think of. These are a flatbread. So it's sort of like three biscuits or something. This is a small uh, snack. It's not, not a big meal at all. The neighbor responds in verse 7, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Now that response is understandable. Nobody likes being disturbed when they're asleep. As some of you know, last year I worked third shift for the first like six months when I was pastoring here, and I would regularly text people at three in the morning just not even thinking about it. Because um, I just kept that schedule all week. So that was my sermon prep time. That was my reading time. And uh, often I would send a text and then realize, oh, stink. It's, it's 3 or 4 in the morning. And I feel really bad. And uh, a couple of people actually got upset with me about that. 
Uh, not Malachi, though, because Malachi, I don't know if you know this, he is always awake. He is a vampire. Uh, you can text him at 4 in the morning, and within 10 seconds, he will respond, because he just doesn't sleep. Uh, but most people do not like being bothered in the middle of the night. A little bit more background here. Houses in this time were not big structures, again, like we think of today with multiple rooms. It was one small room. That was your house. Uh, so one room, house, means everyone slept in the same room, okay? So everybody, the kids, the adults, the animals, if they had them, they all slept in one small room. And this guy is banging on the door. He's asking for bread, and he's waking everybody up. Not just this guy, but his kids, he mentions as well. And so for him to get up and give bread to him, uh, to take it to this guy, there's no way to do this without just disturbing everyone's sleep. And if you have small kids, especially, or you ever have, uh, you understand this would be a, a big problem. It's hard to get little kids to go to sleep and having them be disturbed in the middle of the night, uh, very frustrating. Verse 8, I tell you, Jesus says, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. We're going to talk about that word impudence in a minute because that's really the key to this whole text. Uh, but some other translations will say their persistence or importunity. I think that's the King James Version. And so... The idea there is that the neighbor won't get up and give this guy bread because they're friends. He doesn't really care about him, but because the guy won't stop knocking, the neighbor will get up and give him what he wants, basically to get rid of him. Uh, that's the idea that most people have of this parable, that it's persistence in prayer. And we know this story is about prayer because it comes right after the model prayer, which was in response, you remember, to the disciples asking Jesus, teach us to pray. Okay, this story is a part of that teaching. So this is clearly about the subject of prayer. It is meant to communicate something about prayer and the fact that God will hear and respond to our prayers. And so the point of the story is God is like a grumpy neighbor. He doesn't really like you or care about what you need. He's kind of annoyed at the fact that you're bothering him. But if you keep asking and if you're persistent in prayer, eventually he'll give in and give you whatever you want. So let's pray. Uh, now, now, most of us, I, I hope, something in you is saying, that can't be right. Uh, that can't be what Jesus means here. But if we're honest, that's the question most of us have after reading the story. Is God a grumpy neighbor? Are we supposed to just persist because he's reluctant to give us what we need? Let's look at uh, the other story, Luke 18. Jesus said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. So this is an unjust judge. He's a bad judge. He doesn't fear God. He doesn't care about people. Uh, verse 3, there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. So this widow is being oppressed in some way. And she keeps coming to the judge asking for justice. Verse 4, for a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And again, this is given in the context of Jesus' teaching on prayer. So it seems that the point of this story is God is like a bad judge who doesn't care about you, but if you keep coming to him in prayer and bother him enough, eventually you'll wear him down and get what you want. Very similar to Luke 11. And again, I think that's the exact opposite of what is actually intended. It's always bad to misinterpret scripture, 
It's really bad to miss the point and think it's teaching the, act, the, the exact opposite. And that's what most of us do with these two stories. And Jesus explicitly clarifies this story's meaning in the next verse, verse 6. The Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And then 7, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. And now we get it. God is not like the judge. That's the point. And if you read these two stories and come away with the idea that God is a grumpy neighbor or a bad judge, and he's reluctant to give us what we need, but eventually we can wear him out. If that's your understanding of these passages, you've completely missed the point. Jesus is saying God is not like that. He will not delay long over his elect who are crying out to him in need. He will instead answer their requests speedily. God is not reluctant. You're not bothering him in prayer. He is ready and eager to answer. So this is a contrast, not a comparison. And we'll see this even more clearly in Luke 11, where Jesus actually gives two illustrations. The first one is the grumpy neighbor who's reluctant to give what uh, his friend needs. And then later, toward the end of the text, there's a loving father who won't give a stone to his son who asks for bread, but will instead give him what he needs. Uh, guess which one is God? <laughs> he's not the grumpy neighbor. He's the loving father. So back to our text. We're going to work through this parable again, this time looking at what the teaching is. We kind of have to go through it first and unlearn what we think it means. And now we're going to go back and see what Jesus is actually trying to teach. Verse 5, he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. Answer, you wouldn't. <laughs> Nobody does this. If you needed some bread, you wouldn't go bother your neighbor at midnight. And verses 5 to 7 is all one question. I, I hope you have a Bible in front of you. I know we get used to the verse on the screen. But if you have one in front of you, uh, the ESV very helpfully punctuates this whole thing as being one long sentence from verse 5 to verse 7. And so this is one big question. You see the question mark there at the end of verse 7. Uh, there's no ending punctuation between the start of 5 and the end of 7. There's semicolons, which means this is all one big question. So it starts in verse 5, which of you, and then it ends at the end of verse 7. That's the rest of the question. This is a little bit tricky for me to explain without having the whole text in front of you, but uh, the question is about the friend. Notice it says, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight. So this is about the neighbor. Okay, the question is about the guy who's asleep. Which of you who has a friend like that, and then skip down to verse 7, which of you who has a friend like that, will that friend say, don't bother me, I can't give you anything because I'm in bed? And the answer is no. The friend wouldn't say that. It's a rhetorical question. That's not something your friend would do. Instead, verse 8 I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. So Jesus is saying a good friend, a neighbor, is not going to refuse to meet your need. Now, he may not do it because he's your friend. That's not the reason he's going to. He may not do it because he really wants to, but he would do it because of your impudence. And so now we need to look at that word more closely. This Greek word is a hopox Legomena, which is a fancy way of saying it only appears one time in the entire New Testament. And so you have this one instance in Luke 11 where this Greek word is found, and that makes it very difficult for lexicographers to define exactly what the word means. 
But there are two possible definitions. One is persistence. The other is boldness. The persistence idea would mean the guy is pounding on the door over and over until eventually the neighbor answers. Like the judge story with the widow who kept asking over and over and over again. If the word here means boldness instead, that means the guy will give him the bread because he had the audacity to come and ask at midnight. So how you translate this one word really can shape your understanding of the text. And here's just a little Bible study tip for you. I know most of you are not planning on learning Greek anytime soon, although I really wish you would. Uh, but if you don't want to learn Greek, one way to really know what is behind your English translation is to compare multiple English translations. Okay, get four or five good, reliable English translations and read the verse in all four or five. That'll give you a sense of what's underneath it. Um, so we're going to do this right now. We're going to look at a few and just see how they've translated this one word that's translated in the ESV, impudence. First, we're going to look at the HCSB. Now, this is the Southern Baptist translation, very good translation. It came out, I don't remember exactly when, it was a while back. The HCSB translated this word as persistence. Then, a few years later, it was revised. The HCSB, now they came out with the CSB. I think that came out two, three years ago. And in the CSB, they changed the translation to shameless boldness. Okay, now let's look at the New American Standard. Now, they didn't know what to do with this word either. In 1995, the NASB said persistence. Then last year, the 2020 version came out and they changed it to shamelessness. Then this year, the Legacy Standard Bible is coming out. And this is a revision of the NASB and they changed it back to persistence. Okay, so you see that English Bibles are wrestling with which one of these definitions is appropriate for this word. Um, the Amplified Bible cheated. They translated it persistence and boldness. And that's just not fair. Uh, but different translations struggle with whether this word means persistence, so you just keep knocking until you get it, or boldness, that the guy gives him the bread because he had the audacity to ask at midnight. Just to illustrate the importance of this word, I want to show two different translations that come to completely different conclusions about the meaning of this entire verse because of the ambiguity of this one word. We're going to look at the NLT and the NIV. And please understand, I am not endorsing either one of those translations. They're not my favorite, but it just illustrates this point well. The NLT says, but I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. And so clearly they're focusing on the persistence idea that you just keep knocking. And because of that persistence, he's going to give you what you need. Now look at the NIV. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Same verse, totally different conclusion that the translators have come to. And these are not stupid guys. These are Greek scholars that are struggling with what does this word mean? The NIV is saying, even though he's reluctant, the fact that you have the audacity to knock on his door at midnight to ask, that will get him out of bed. And at this point, I'm going to say I agree with that understanding of the verse. I think the ESV also does a good job with the word impudence, which means uh, boldness almost to the point of rudeness, right? It would be considered crossing every social cue to go to your neighbor's friend, uh, your neighbor's house at midnight and ask for a snack. That's just totally inappropriate. And so I think that's the idea uh, that Jesus is giving here. We're not overcoming God's reluctance by our persistent asking. 
Rather, Jesus is saying we should be bold in prayer. Don't feel like you can't ask. Don't feel awkward. We as neighbors, again, would feel awkward going at midnight to our friend to ask for bread. You just don't do that sort of thing. But with God, we can be impudent. We can boldly march up and knock on the door and ask for what we need because he's not a grumpy neighbor, but a loving father. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's an incredible verse. You remember the story of Esther. Uh, you don't just walk up to a king's throne. That was really the whole conflict in that book. You don't just approach a king uninvited. You'd be killed for such audacity. Yet the author of Hebrews is saying, you can march right up to the throne room of God and ask him for what you need with confidence. This reminds us of the statement in James. We looked at this a few weeks ago. You do not have because you do not ask. Sometimes we don't have what we need just because we lack the boldness to ask for it. My dad uh, went to college here in Indiana. And when he was, he was about my age, I guess, when he was here. And he visited with a friend of his. He went up to Chicago to see Moody Church. Uh, some of you, I'm sure, are familiar with Moody Church. D.L. Moody, very famous uh, pastor of the 1800s. And so my dad was, uh, was there. The tour guide kind of brought them around and showed them different places within the building. And they went to D.L. Moody's office. And as the guide was talking, my dad noticed a few keys were there on the corner of the desk. And so he asked what they were. And the tour guide said, oh, those were D.L. Moody's keys to his office here. There were three or four of them sitting there. And so my dad said, can I have one? And the tour guide said, sure, and gave him one. Now, most of us would never do that. I would never think to ask for something like that. I don't have that level of boldness. I'm the guy that if they mess up my order at, at the fast food place, I just eat it because I don't want to go back and ask for them to fix it. Okay, but uh, what, what Jesus is communicating here is that sort of audacity should be normative in our prayer life. We should never shy away from asking our Father for something we need just because it seems small or insignificant. He wants us to ask him. Come with boldness in prayer to God. Because he will give you what you need if you'll just ask. And so he continues in verse 9 to say, I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Now there's, these are a couple of verses that get ripped out of their context quite regularly. Uh, before we address that, let me first ask, why does Jesus say, ask, seek, and knock? Why not just ask? Right, we're talking about prayer. We're talking about asking for our needs to be met. Why does he go to the seek and knock thing? Now, this is just my opinion at this point. I can't prove this from the text. But I think the reason Jesus uses these three words instead of just saying, ask and you'll receive, is to address the way that our perceived closeness to God changes at times. Meaning sometimes in our Christian walk, we feel very close to God. Uh, we're growing spiritually. It feels like God is right next to us. Everything's great. And in that case, Jesus says, ask him. Ask him for what you need. There are other times, however, when God feels distant. And if you've been saved any length of time, you've gone through these seasons. For whatever reason, it just seems like we're praying to no one. Like God is a million miles away, not paying us any attention. In those times, Jesus says, seek him. He's not hiding from you. If you'll seek him, you will find him. He'll reveal himself to you. Like God said to Israel in Jeremiah 29, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. 
You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And so we ask him at those times when we feel uh, that close fellowship with God. We seek after him when he feels distant. And then there's some times when it feels like God's mad at you. You've sinned. And you feel the weight of that sin is blocking your prayers as if there's a locked door between you and God and he's not letting you into that throne room. And Jesus says in those situations, knock. And the promise of God to us in 1 John is if, if we'll confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God wants to be close to you. He desires that fellowship to be right. So ask what you need. And if God feels distant, seek after him. If sin is blocking your access, knock, and you'll find that he's waiting to forgive and to reconcile. That's my understanding of the ask, seek, and knock. Now back to the text, verse 9. I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. To the one who knocks, it will be opened. Now is Jesus saying here that we can ask for whatever we want and God's going to give it to us? No. Uh, that kind of name it and claim it idea of prayer is not at all what Jesus meant. Not only is that not biblical, it's also just not experiment, uh, experientially true. We all know this. Uh, many of you in this room have told me about uh, crazy answers to prayer that you've had. And I think probably most of us have experienced those type of things. Somebody, I won't embarrass anybody, but somebody here told me uh, about a car they needed. Their car was dying and uh, a neighbor just gave them a car, you know, as they were praying about it. Somebody else told me that they were praying for a missions trip. They didn't have the money, and then suddenly somebody paid their bill. Uh, those types of things happen on occasion. But also, if I were to ask each one of you, you know this is true. There are also times when you pray for things, and you prayed, and you prayed, and you prayed, and then it didn't happen. You prayed for somebody to get sick, and they didn't get, or somebody to get better that was sick. <laughs> Maybe you prayed for somebody to get sick, and that didn't happen either. <laughs> But you prayed for someone who was sick to get better, and they didn't. You prayed for a need to be met, and it just didn't happen. And so what do we do with those instances? Many of us have ha had had amazing answers to prayer, but we've also experienced times when we prayed, and we didn't get what we asked for. Now, we'll get to why it is that God says no in just a minute, uh, but let's acknowledge first that these two verses given, are given in the context of the rest of this chapter. We've already seen from the model prayer the kinds of things we're supposed to be asking God for. We're supposed to ask God to hallow his name, to advance his kingdom, to accomplish his will. We ask for our daily needs to be met, our sins to be forgiven, and strength against temptation to sin. And in that context then, Jesus says, ask and you'll receive. This isn't about asking for whatever you feel like and then God gets it to you. And we're not going to jump here to the end part of the text just yet. But if you just have a Bible in front of you, glance down to what follows, you'll see Jesus starts saying, a good father will give bread and fish and an egg to his son. If he asks for bread, the father won't give him a rock. He'll give him bread. But what if he asks for a motorcycle? Well, that's absurd. That's not what Jesus is talking about. This is, it's obvious then that the principle of asking and receiving what we ask for is given in the context of our needs being met. It's assumed throughout this text that we aren't just talking about selfish desires or ridiculous requests like, God, give me a billion dollars because I'm asking and you said you'd give it to me. I know we're, we're talking about good things, our needs being met. So these verses are not saying 
that everything I ask for, I can expect to receive right away. Because if I could just tell God what I want and he would do whatever I say whenever I want it, I would be God. I'm borrowing from John Piper here. He said, if, if you could boss God around, you would be God. I wouldn't want it to mean that. Because sometimes, I don't know about you, I ask for a snake instead of a fish. Sometimes I pray and desire something and later I think, boy, I'm really glad God did not give that to me. Because if I could get whatever I asked for, I would make a mess of things in no time. Let's finish with the rest of our text. Verse 11. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a, a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, Matthew's account of this is a little bit different. Luke says he'll give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. Matthew says... If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Uh, we're going to start with Matthew's version, and then we'll address the difference in Luke uh, in just a minute. So Jesus says, If a son asks for a fish, a loving father wouldn't give him a snake. If he asks for an egg, the father wouldn't, instead of an egg, give him a scorpion. No good dad would do that. Uh, brothers would. But dads, dads wouldn't do that. I did this sort of thing on a regular basis to my brother. I remember one time when I was a kid, I, I really got him. Uh, the dummy made the mistake of leaving his cup of water on the counter. And so when he was out of the room, I poured out the water and replaced it with rubbing alcohol. Uh, which looks just like water, but I, I hear from him that it doesn't taste like water. Uh, don't worry, he's fine. Uh, but a good dad would never do that. <laughs> A good dad would never do that. A father who loves his son wouldn't give him rubbing alcohol when he asks for water. If a son asked his dad for uh, some fish, he wouldn't give him a serpent. And you see here, this is a completely different analogy than we started with. The first story is about a grumpy neighbor who reluctantly gets out of bed and gives in to your banging on his door at midnight. And the next analogy is a loving father who wants to give good things to his children. Question... Is God our grumpy neighbor or is he our heavenly father? So the first analogy is not meant to be a picture of our relationship to God. Jesus is saying, you may feel uncomfortable going and asking for bread from your neighbor at midnight, but you don't have to feel that awkwardness with God. He's a loving father, ready to meet your needs. If you take the persistence definition, which I recognize is a legitimate understanding of that verse, uh, the point would be this. The neighbor won't give in to you unless you're persistent. Because God is your father, however, he's quick to answer. You won't go to your neighbor at midnight for a snack. That kind of boldness is considered rude. But does a child have the right to come to his parent at midnight and ask for a cup of water? You see the difference there. You wouldn't do this to your next door neighbor, but you would do this to your dad because that relationship is different. Psalm 84:11. For the Lord God is a sun and shield, the Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. And here we get to the question, why is it that sometimes we ask God for things and he doesn't give them to us? No good thing does God withhold from those who walk uprightly. So there's two things there. First, are you walking uprightly? A sin does keep us, keep God from hearing and answering our requests. We saw that a few weeks ago. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So if that's the issue, confess that sin, repent of it, and God will forgive you. 
But if you are, as best as you know how, uh, walking uprightly, I mean, you're, you're here at church, you, you, you prayed this morning, uh, you're, you're treating your spouse well, you're doing everything you know to do, you're doing your best to follow Jesus, you're not harboring any sin in your life, maybe for you the word good is important there. No good thing will he withhold. Maybe what you think is good is actually bad for you. What you think is bad is actually good for you. Again, sometimes I've asked God for a serpent. Not literally, okay, but you know what I mean. Uh, sometimes we say, God, God, please, would you let me get married to this person? And then years later, you go back and say, oh my goodness, I'm so glad he didn't do that. Uh, some of us have prayed for really stupid things. And we're so glad that God has the wisdom at times to say no. No, I, I'm not going to give you that snake. Here's a fish instead. And at the time, all we can think of is, but you said you'd answer my request. You said ask and, and I'd receive. But God's no to his children isn't out of cruelty. And as we've seen already, it's not out of reluctance. It's out of love. A loving parent doesn't give the child whatever he wants. Now, let's just stick with the food analogy, right? Growing up, I hated vegetables. If it was green, I didn't want it. Uh, but I loved jelly beans. Okay, if I asked my mom, can I have jelly beans for dinner? She might give me vegetables instead. And that's not cruelty, that's love. That's giving your child what they don't even realize they really need. And sometimes we get so upset with God because he isn't giving us what we ask for. And he's thinking, you're asking for a scorpion and you don't even realize it. It's not loving for God to give us something bad for us just because we're, we're sometimes foolish enough to ask for it. So sometimes what we think is good is actually bad for us. But the opposite is true, too. Sometimes uh, what we think is bad is actually good for us. And here's what I mean. I wonder if the problem in your life that you so badly want God to rid you of is exactly what you need to be made more like Jesus. Romans 8, verse 26, Paul wrote, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words. That's what we're talking about. We, we don't know sometimes what, we're, what we should ask for. So the Holy Spirit takes our prayers and he fixes them. He intercedes. He's the go-between between us and the Father. Verse 27, he who, searches out, uh, he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So uh, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So what's the good that God is working all things together for? The good is defined by the next verse, namely being made like Jesus. That's the will of God. That's what's good for us. And I'm saying that sometimes the thing that we keep begging God to take away from us is exactly what we need. He's working through that suffering and through our pain and through our frustration to teach us and to grow us, to mold us to be more like him. Psalm 119 verse 71, it is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. So God does answer prayer and he won't give you a snake when you you ask for a fish. He's not cruel like that. But he also won't give you a snake when you ask for that. He gives good things to his children who ask. He's not cruel. And if he's not giving you what you've asked for, it's not because he's reluctant or he's waiting for you to beg and beg and beg and wear him down. He wants to give you what is best for you. So ask and then rest. 
Ask him. You can come boldly. You can ask for whatever you need. But then rest in God's wisdom to know better than you what is truly good for you. If God is withholding something from you, it's because it's not a good thing. It's not because he's a reluctant friend. Now, I know that not everyone here had a great father. Uh, There are some people in this room who have never met their father. There are some people in this room who their father was absent. Their father was maybe even abusive. Sometimes even good dads, even those who had great dads, they had bad days. And so sometimes they responded to our requests more like the grumpy neighbor. But notice what Jesus said. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Jesus acknowledges that all human fathers are sinful, broken people. And he doesn't say, just like that, your Father in heaven is going to give you what you need. He says, how much more? The best of our earthly fathers care for their children and wisely provide what is good for them. But God is way better than even that kind of father, even the best of fathers. He is better, number one, because he loves his children perfectly. He loves more than any human father can. God is better because he has infinite wisdom. Notice Jesus says, your father who is in heaven. He has a different vantage point to know what's really good for you than your earthly father. Sometimes your earthly father thought they were giving you what was best and it really wasn't. God's never wrong. God is also better than our earthly fathers because he's all powerful. Sometimes a human father can want to do something good for their child, but they can't afford it or for whatever reason they can't do it. They can't make it happen. God has the ability to do anything that would be for our good. So back to Luke. We still have one a loose end to tie up here in our text. Verse 13, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So Matthew said he'll give good things to those who ask him. Luke says he'll give the Holy Spirit. Now you might be thinking, does that mean the ask, seek, and knock stuff, does that only apply to if we're asking for the Holy Spirit? Or can I ask and receive whatever else I may want. And the first thing I want to say to that is I think that's a bad question. Uh, There are some questions that when somebody asks me them, my immediate thought is that's just a bad question. Uh, One that one just classic example is when somebody asks, do I have to be baptized to be a Christian? That's a really bad question. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Being a Christian means you submit to the Lordship of Jesus in every area of your life. And if getting in water for five seconds is a problem, I don't think you've understood the Christian part. And so it's just a bad question. It's sort of like, do I have to kiss my wife at the wedding? That's a bad question, (laughs) okay? If you have to ask that question, you really need to reconsider. And so I think asking the question, uh, is all we get the Holy Spirit or can we get good things? That, That shows we're thinking of prayer like the vending machine God, not the Father who guides us and who it is our goal to serve. So if you're really hoping that I'm gonna make the ask and receive thing broader, than just the Holy Spirit and receiving the Spirit, I think you're missing something. Remember our study of the model prayer. Our first three priorities should be that God's name would be exalted, that his kingdom would advance on the earth, and that his will would be done. And then we ask for our needs to be met, our sins to be forgiven, and strength to resist temptation. And basically, that's just saying, God, help me to do your will. So praying isn't about us getting stuff. It's about our needs being met so we can do the will of God. And with that perspective of what our goal in life should be, 
What could you possibly need more than the Holy Spirit? That's not a downgrade from good things in Matthew. That seems at first to be limiting. Not that, that any good thing will be given, but only the Holy Spirit. But if you consider the Holy Spirit's role in our lives, really, he is the best good thing that we could ever be given. And here I'll give you uh, John MacArthur's explanation of this verse that I found very helpful. He said, instead of giving us comfort, God gives us the comforter. Instead of giving help, God gives us the helper. Instead of giving you truth, God gives you the truth teacher. Instead of giving you power, God gives you the spirit of power. Instead of giving you wisdom, God gives you the source of wisdom. Instead of giving you guidance, God gives you the guide. Instead of giving you love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, God gives you the Holy Spirit who can release those fruits in your life. Instead of giving you the gift, God gives you the giver. Instead of giving you the effect, God gives you the cause. Instead of giving you the product, God gives you the source. It would be like asking God for money and he instead gives you the bank. When we ask for good things, the Father gives us the giver of the good things to live within us. Out of the Holy Spirit comes everything we need. God doesn't give us grace or wisdom for that moment only. Instead, he comes inside of us so we have it as we need it. So the point of this text is very simple. Ask. That's, that's the, the repeated word five times in these last few verses. Jesus says, ask. Ask God for what you need. Because being a child of God grants you special access through prayer. You can come boldly and expect God to care for you, not like a grumpy neighbor, but instead like a, a loving father. The grumpy neighbor is reluctant. He's not willing to help. You're, you're inconveniencing him. The father loves giving good gifts. He'll give what is best, and he longs for you just to ask him. One more question for today, and that is, is the idea of persistence in prayer biblical? Uh, I'm saying that this particular text, I do not believe, is teaching that we need to persist in prayer, meaning we need to beg and beg and beg and beg and ask for the same thing over and over until we wear God down. But what about other texts? Should we ask repeatedly for the same thing until God gives it to us, or should we pray and then rest in God's answer. It seems that faith would be required to trust that if it's really good for me, God will give it. And if he doesn't give it, I don't want it. So maybe we should just ask a few times and then leave it in God's hands. Let's look at a few texts to try to answer this. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. This is Paul speaking. So to keep me from being, uh, becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. So he asked God on three occasions, would you please take this frustrating, terrible thing out of my life? Verse 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So Paul asked three times for something to be taken out of his life. And God said no. And then Paul stopped asking. Now there's only one problem with this, uh, with this instance is God doesn't tell me no. God doesn't speak to me audibly and say, no, that's not good for you, so stop asking. So this isn't a direct parallel. So while in one sense... 
This seems to cut against the idea of persistence to get what you want from God. It doesn't necessarily apply to us directly. And so here I'm going to give my opinion. And honestly, uh, I'm not 100% on this. This is something I'm still thinking through. But this is where I'm at right now in my thinking about persistence in prayer. I think persistence can be appropriate or it can be a lack of faith. Praying repeatedly for wisdom, for example, is evidence of your humility to recognize your need, the fact that you need guidance from the Lord. And so I believe regularly asking for God's wisdom is an appropriate type of persistence. Praying for a circumstance to change may demonstrate a lack of faith in God's ability to control it, or it may reveal a lack of contentment with his answer. Uh, maybe after 12 times of praying for something to change in your life, your prayer should begin to shift. Instead of saying, God, would you please do this? Also ask God to, uh, to help you to be content if he's choosing not to change that for some good reason you may not perceive right now. And so I think there's certain things that we should be repeatedly praying for. For example, 1 Thessalonians 5, this would be the response to this idea that we don't need to be persistent in prayer. Somebody would say, well, uh, the Bible says pray without ceasing. Yes, but that's in a context. Verse 16, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So the pray without ceasing part is sandwiched between rejoice all the time and give thanks all the time. Those types of prayers should be the constant flow of our life. Another category where persistence in prayer, I think, is biblical is praying for others. Ephesians 6 verse 18 says, Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in, my, in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And so Paul says there, uh, pray always making supplications for others, for, for your brothers and sisters in Christ. And also pray for me, Paul says, as I go about preaching the gospel, that I would have boldness, that I would uh, teach it accurately and so forth. So praying for others should be something we do repeatedly. This also helps us to cultivate a heart that cares for others. If I pray for my wife every day, I think that helps me love her better. It inclines my heart to her. And so persistence in praying for others, I think, is appropriate. But when it comes to prayers for ourselves, specifically uh, things like our circumstances changing, I think Philippians 4 would be instructive. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So trade your worries for God's peace through prayer. Uh, bring those concerns. Let your requests be made known to God. If you're worried about it, pray. It's not like there's certain categories of things we shouldn't ask for. No, God wants you to pray about everything. But then once you've brought that concern, once you've made that request known to God, then rest. Trust that God will take your cares and will work everything for your good. If a reluctant, uncaring friend can be moved by impudence to meet his neighbor's need, how much more will our eager, generous, and good Heavenly Father be moved by our prayers? And if God delays in answering our prayers, we can know that it's not due to reluctance, but because he knows what is best for us and he knows the best timing for it. 
One final text, Philippians 4.19, My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God is eager to help. He's not reluctant. God is fully able to help. He's not lacking in resources. And God will always give us what is good for us. He's never cruel and he's never wrong like earthly fathers sometimes are. So trust him. If God isn't answering your prayer, rest in his goodness, rest in his character. And so here's the sermon in a nutshell. God is eager to answer our requests with our ultimate good in mind. So ask him and then trust him. Ask boldly for what you need and then trust that his answer and his timing are best. We hope the message you just heard was helpful to you. It means a lot to us that you would join us for this podcast. For more information about our church and meeting times, visit lbcmiller.com or call us at 219-885-9303. We would love to hear from you.